How far would uh, you go to pursue something valuable? That was a question that came to my mind when I read somebody's social media post. A friend of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago shared a story. Now, if you're squeamish, feel free to go ahead and close your ears now. Cover them up because this one's a little bit strange, but uh, I think it illustrates the point really well. The post went like this. Just want to let anyone know who might be trying to get a, a hold of me by phone. My cell phone is indisposed right now because it's sitting in a bag of rice. I was using a porta potty at the Morton Arboretum today, and my cell phone fell in. I freaked out, and my husband impatiently said, hurry up and try to get it before it goes down any further. I didn't even think to take off my jewelry and unfortunately came up empty-handed. We then drove to the visitor center and I pretty much took a shower in the bathroom. I got a giant plastic garbage bag from the people at the visitor center and wrapped it around my arm and went hillbilly hand fishing into the bottom of the tank. Success, I think. We'll see if my phone will work after drying it out. So if you need to get a hold of me, you're going to have to private message me or get a hold of my husband until I hopefully get my phone working again. Now, it wouldn't be a good youth pastor sermon if it didn't involve somebody being shoulder deep in bodily fluids, right? <laughs> Reminds me of a time that I helped deliver a baby calf, but that's for a different story. Haven't we all gone all in on an investment at one time or another? Sometimes even finding ourselves empty-handed. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't really know which one on this one, the phone didn't work afterwards, so she had to get a new phone. I think that's actually probably fortunate, even though that was a lot of work to find out that it didn't work. Well, today we're going to address the question of our series, You Asked For It, on baptism, uh, but before we get to there, uh, I wanted to take a few minutes looking at this idea of going all in for something truly valuable. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, and as, as we read already, uh, that's a passage of a section of Scripture that has two parables in uh, the course of a few verses. Um, we're going to see uh, that Jesus is sharing to his disciples. He's talking to his disciples, encouraging them to uh, buy in to what he has to offer, something truly valuable. We're going to see four parts to the story that were shared uh, to his disciples, but I think are just as important for us today. So if you have your Bible uh, with you, uh, how about uh, we read this, or it's going to be on the screen for you, uh, and you can follow along in the notes that are in your bulletin if that's what you uh, feel like doing. If not, you can use that as a blank piece of paper to color on like my children do. The passage says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he has to bought it, or, and bought it. So these four parts that we see here, uh, the first part that we are going to start with begins with our, our introduction in each story. Two separate, separate sections, two different distinct uh, differences, uh, even though one section of Jesus' teaching. The first one we see that there's a man who is uh, finding treasure in a field. He's wandering around, stumbles upon it, or he's working and stumbles upon it, or he is uh, lost and desperate and just sitting around and he sees it. Not exactly uh, pursuing this treasure. The other story uh, in in, uh, verse 45 is there's a, a pearl merchant, right? The pearl merchant is very intentional. He knows what he's looking for. He's seeking it out. And he finds this valuable pearl. Now, a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about things that aren't in this passage. Jesus, over the course of three sentences, tells two stories. So instead of us focusing on what's not there, which a lot of commentaries and a lot of pastors have done, let's focus on what is there. The first one we see, the first story that we see is this man is wandering, right? or he stumbles upon it, or he's burying it, whatever. We don't really know how he gets to it, but we know that he finds this treasure hidden in a field, right? He's not purposely trying to pursue treasure. He just happens upon it. Now, in an age when uh, safety deposit box weren't exactly normal, the idea of finding buried treasure was something that was fairly common. People would store their treasure on their land, They would go out to the old oak tree, mark off 10 paces to the east, we'll go with that, and then, you know, three paces to the south, and and then you'd bury it, and you'd say, okay, I know where it's at, it's it's near the old oak tree, and it's buried. That's possible. There's there's a lot of different ways that this, he could have come about this treasure, but he, he happens upon this treasure. And Jesus doesn't tell us how he finds it, he just tells us that he finds it. And so what some of you guys are thinking right now is, was it legal for him to do that? Was it moral for him to do that? Should he have just buried it and then bought the field? Is that morally okay? Is that legally okay? That's not the point. Jesus isn't trying to focus on the legality of this. He's not talking about the morality of this. He is simply talking about the fact that there's treasure that was to be found. Now, when he finds this treasure, what does he do? He buries it. He sees the value in this find, right? He hides it right away. One man stumbles upon this treasure. It's hidden in a field. He covers it up. The other one, intentionally seeking after this pearl of great value. Now, Jesus relates to this and says the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he says these two different things. The kingdom of heaven is like the person that just stumbles upon this treasure, or the kingdom of heaven is like somebody who's intentionally seeking 
value that's to be found. Now, if you're like me, you stumbled upon the gospel. You stumbled upon the, gospel, the, the kingdom of heaven. I, I wasn't going into the conversation that I had with a friend looking to figure out the, my purpose in life. I simply was shared the gospel, and I was like, that sounds great. That sounds like a great, valuable thing. I want that. And actually, it came so easy that they were a little surprised that I trusted in Jesus and put my faith in him. Other people spend years looking at all of the different options that are out there to find purpose in life, analyzing things, talking things through, studying it. Jesus' point here is that there is treasure to be found. The kingdom of heaven is valuable and it's available. This treasure is there to be found. So part one, we see, oops, I'm going the wrong direction, sorry, is the find, all right? He found it. The second aspect comes in the next verse when it says this, so the man found and he covered it up. And then in the second passage, the pearl merchant, he finds this pearl of great value. He knows what he's looking for and he finds it, all right? So the second aspect is this valuation. The valuation is this is something valuable. Now the man who finds the, the treasure in the field, when he sees it, what does he do? He covers it up. You cover up things that are valuable. You don't want other people to find it. If you think it's valuable, you're going to cover it up. Now again, Jesus doesn't explain why he, he does this, but it shows us that it's valuable. I'd like to believe that the reason why he's covering it up is because it's so big, so massive, this treasure is so huge that he can't just pocket it and walk away, right? I don't know. I'm not sure exactly why he does what he does, but he does cover it up because he looks at it and sees it valuable. Now, the pearl merchant, he finds this pearl of great value. I don't know much about pearls. I can't tell you whether something's valuable or not. I, my wife has a pearl necklace. She actually is wearing it today, which totally a surprise. I'm looking at it right now, and I see it, so that might be valuable. I have no idea. It was given to her by a relative, not me, I, so I have no idea, right? But 15 years ago, last Thursday, we celebrated our anniversary, so 15 years ago, I gave Heidi a, a, a ring uh, and, and, and married her, and six months before that, I had to buy that ring, and so uh, as a lot of guys have studied, there is a way that you can know whether diamonds are valuable. The five C's of the diamond, right? You got the cut, you got the color, you got the carrot, you got the clarity, and then there's a certification for the Gemological Society of something or other, right? If it's certified, they put their stamp on it. Therefore, they know that you have confidence that this is the diamond that is, has been certified. Right? That's how you evaluate the value of a diamond. As Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, we see that you can evaluate the kingdom of heaven as well. So 
uh, a friend of mine, uh, a pastor, uh, shared with me something that I found very valuable. The five Ps for evaluating the kingdom of heaven. Now, in your notes, I didn't actually finish that sentence. I just said five Ps for evaluating value. I don't know why I stopped there. The value of the kingdom of heaven. Feel free to write that in your notes because it's, I think it's important for you to understand why, what you're evaluating. But these five Ps for evaluating the kingdom of heaven uh, uh, by David Daniels, uh, he, he shared this, and, and I think this is incredibly important for us. The first, as you analyze the kingdom of heaven, is peace. The kingdom of God offers us peace because we're sinners separated from God. We're enemies with God. But God, while we were still sinners, because of his great love for us, he offers us salvation. Salvation from the sin that that we have done, salvation for the sin that we deserve, the consequences of sin that we, that I was dealing with, those things that I wrestled with, the guilt that I had. The King of Heaven offers us peace from that. Jesus pays the penalty for me, and he adopted me into his home. I was a son of God because of what Jesus has done. And in doing that, I've been reconciled with God. I no longer am an enemy to him. And Jesus offers this to you as well. This peace. The peace that, that surpasses all understanding. And when things don't quite line up for you, you still have peace. And that's something that is so important to me, so valuable to me, is that I have peace. The kingdom of God offers us peace. And we're we're reconciled with God and have peace with him for eternity. It's not something you can lose. It's not something that if you have a bad day, you, you lose that peace. It's something you have for eternity. You are now reconciled with God. The second P is presence. Those who trust in Jesus and receive that peaceful relationship with God, also receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives within them. They enjoy the presence of God day in and day out. There are times when you feel uh, alone. I I know I, I, as throughout my childhood, when I didn't have a relationship with God, I felt alone. I felt like I was the only one going through difficulties. When I trusted in Jesus as my Savior, and I heard that the God who created everything lived within me, that the Holy Spirit was present in my life, that changed everything. I never was alone. I never had to deal with uh, this idea that I was the only one going through different difficulties. There's nothing that can ever separate you from this presence either. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with the God of the universe living in you, and you can't be separated from him. He's with you always. The third P is that you have a new position. The kingdom of heaven gives you this new position. And every single day uh, we go to work or we uh, go 
uh, join organizations. We work through different clubs that we're involved in. For some of you who are going to school, you pursue this, this education. You do all of these things with the hopes that you can do enough to feel that you're successful. We're trying to become something, right? We look, uh, <clears throat> we look to uh, find the, the next promotion, find the next job that uh, is higher up so that when we go to parties, when we are involved in uh, interacting with the community around us and they ask you, oh, who, who are you? What, tell me about yourself. And we get to say, you know, I'm an architect, or I run a business, or I'm a manager at this, uh, this, this uh, business, or, uh, you know, I've got uh, a family at home that I, I, I raise, and I, I have these uh, different categories of what I do, and that's my position. Listen, folks, the kingdom of heaven isn't focused on what you can accomplish. The kingdom of heaven is focused on what Jesus has already done for us. It's not what you can do. It's not about what you can accomplish. It's not what, what you can be able to get yourself pat on the backs for. What we learn from the kingdom of heaven is that there's nothing you can do to earn this greater position than what has already been given, that's already been made available to you. The position of being a son or daughter of God, right? It's not about what you've done, it's what Jesus has already done for us, right? It's what he's done that makes you valuable. Your beauty, your value is based on what Jesus has done for us, right? It's not about what we can accomplish, Jesus has already done it for us. We're just jumping on board being adopted into his family. Being a son or daughter of God. That's your position. The fourth is that the kingdom of heaven gives you a purpose. And everybody wants to find purpose, right? Every person wants to come to the end of their life and say, it's finished. The things that I've been uh, given, this responsibility that I've, I've been given, it's finished. But most of the time, what we end up seeing is that we spend the majority of our life searching for some purpose, searching for what to do, searching for how we can make a difference. And at the end of our life, we simply say, am I finished? Is that it? Was that what I was supposed to do? The kingdom of heaven gives us a purpose. And when we jump on board with God's plans, jump on board with what God has for us, the purpose that we have is of greater significance than anything else. All the things that we're striving for it seems insignificant in comparison. Right? God invites us to follow him to follow Jesus, to align our purposes with him. God invites us to build up the church, build up his kingdom here on earth, share the gospel, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that he has taught us, right? When we jump on board with God's purposes, 
right? It's something significantly different. It's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ that he changes lives not for something temporary, but something that's eternal. And so often we find ourselves just continuing the rat race, continuing to do things that we uh, have uh, this uh, this, uh, feeling that we have to do it. It's not even a desire to do it anymore. We just do it because it's something that we have on our plate, something we feel like we're obligated to do, and we're just getting by, and we're continuing to do this rat race over and over and over and over again, and we're missing out on what God has for us. We're missing out on the purpose that God has And this purpose is eternal. Fifthly, the kingdom of heaven offers us great power. One of the great values in being a part of the kingdom of heaven is that while I was lost in my sin, all the weaknesses that I had, the compulsions that I had to pursue things that I didn't really want to do, but I did it anyways, all of those things I have the power to say no to now. I couldn't say no to before. I just did it. I lied to my parents. I lied to my teachers. I thought things that I shouldn't think. I got angry when I shouldn't get angry. Now, I'm not saying that all of those things go away, but we have the Holy Spirit within us encouraging us to be able to say no, to be able to change the things that we do. The gospel And the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we are dead to that sin. And we no longer have to pursue it. We no longer are mastered by it. We no longer are slaves to that sin. We now pursue Jesus and pursue the work of the Holy Spirit within us. The power of the Holy Spirit is changing my life from the inside out. And for those who are part of the kingdom of heaven, no, we're not perfect yet. No, we still make mistakes, we still sin, but we have the ability to say no. And that was something we never had before. We have that power. Amen. Amen. That brings us to the cost. In this passage, right, we see the cost. Now, when you look at the value, that list that was just given, There's nothing, nothing in this world that is worth pursuing greater than that, right? The valuation, the five Ps, right? Having peace with God, having a position that is significantly different than anything that you can accomplish on on earth, right? Having uh, a purpose that is eternal, right? Having the presence of God living in you and giving you that power to be able to say no to the things that you know are just destructive and hurtful. Those five Ps, those are incredibly valuable. The man who found the treasure hidden in a field buried it up and he knew that there was something he needed to do because it was so much more valuable than anything he had. The merchant, when he saw the pearl of great value, he knew it. And what did they do? They evaluated it, and they saw the cost. What was it going to cost? What was it going to cost? Everything. Everything that they had, 
it was going to cost them. They knew that it was going to cost. Now, the uh, idea here isn't that you can work your way into heaven. We've, we've talked about that already. It's not something you can do. The things that I could do without Jesus was nothing, right? I, I wasn't good enough, and I, I, I couldn't actually bring anything worthy to God. But at the same time, even though salvation is free, there is a great cost. The disciples endured a great cost, right? They, uh, they heard from Jesus that to follow him, they were going to have to take up their cross to follow him. They knew that the things that they were going to do were incredibly valuable. They were worth it. But it was going to cost them. Not because of what they did, what Jesus did or had done, right? Because of what Jesus did, the cost was simply following, right? They didn't earn it. They weren't special because all of the great things that they accomplished. They weren't able to hold to the law to a better capacity than others. They weren't able to uh, give more to the, to, the, to the temple than anybody else, and therefore they were viewed as worthy to follow Jesus. It wasn't what they did. They didn't earn it. What Jesus had done, he simply called them to follow him. The cost was everything. And, and there's a, a quote that I have for you um, that I think helped me to understand and I hope is helpful for you. Craig Blomberg says this way, sometimes God will call a would-be disciple to literally sell all. Sometimes. Sometimes God will call a would-be disciple to sell all to follow him. But he always calls would-be disciples to abandon anything that would stand in the way of wholehearted allegiance to Christ and the priorities of the kingdom, right? If there's anything in your life that is, is holding you back from following Jesus, it's not worth it, right? That stuff that you're holding on to, it's not worth it. So often, I think we find this desire to, like, when I get to a certain point, then I'll follow Jesus. When, when I find myself financially successful and capable of being able to, to get off of work to be able to do these things, then, like, when I build up my, my, my uh, position at work and have the time to be able to, to only go part-time to work or have the resources to be able to, then I will pursue God. I will, I'll pursue following Jesus. I will pursue those things. Or when, uh, when I establish my relationships and, you know, that I've, I've got this thing going with this, uh, this, this girl or this guy, right? And, and when uh, that start, kind of settles out and, you know, when we have kids, uh, after we get married and we have kids, and, and then we'll get plugged into a church. Then we'll, we'll participate in uh, the different teaching programs that the church has. When those things happen, then I'll, I'll, I'll be ready. But I'm not ready yet. I still need to invest in all these other things still. According to this passage, 
what you see with both of these instances, whether it was the, uh, the man who stumbles upon the treasure in the field or it's the pearl merchant, the finder of the treasure understands that the treasure, the kingdom of heaven, is so much more valuable than anything that they have. The stuff that they have isn't worth it. And it's much better for them to give it all up so that they can follow into pursuing this treasure. And for us, it's so much better for us to give up the things of this earth to follow Jesus. And the crazy thing is, the man who finds this treasure hidden in the field, what was his response? Was he angry about it? Was he frustrated that he's like, oh man, I, I, was, I had just gotten all of this stuff and I was, I was, uh, I was, I was ready to sit down and, and just kind of veg out with the things that I've collected. No, <laughs> he, he did it with joy, right? All of that stuff that he had, that was nothing compared to the treasure. And for a lot of us, when we give up all the things that the world will look at and say, well, why are you giving that up? Why are you willing to, to, to give up on that? What, don't you know that, that that car is valuable? Don't you know that that position is valuable? Don't you know that those things are important? And when you look at the treasure, you look at the valuation of the kingdom of heaven, it's like, no. <laughs> I mean, you might think that it's valuable, but it's nothing compared to following Jesus. It's nothing. It can't produce the same joy in me. It can't produce the same peace in me. It can't produce anything in me that the kingdom of heaven can do. We, we have to make that decision. That brings us to this last aspect. And what do we see with the, the, uh, the people in our story? He sells all that he has and buys that field, the, hidden, the man who finds hidden treasure. The pearl merchant, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. It can't just be you understand the value. It can't just be that you found it. It can't just be that you evaluated it and you understood what it's going to cost. If you find yourself left there at saying, well, you know, this is, this is going to cost a lot. You never experience the gift that's been given to you. If we simply understand that there's a cost, but we don't respond, we're not receiving the gift that, that Jesus has provided for us. That's the fourth part of this story. The response. Both cases they responded. They bought it. They sold everything, they bought it because they knew the value of the thing that was before them. You can find treasure, understand the value, and analyze your costs as much as you want. But unless you respond by going all in, we're missing the greatest gift of all time. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know, I've never actually been willing to follow Jesus. I've never gotten to the point where I knew that 
the things in my life were, were keeping me from following Jesus. If today is that day, my encouragement to you is to look at the stuff that you have and compare that to what is offered to you. The stuff you're holding on to, I can guarantee you, based on my experience and based on the experience of many others, that stuff isn't worth it. My encouragement for you is to put your faith in Jesus Christ today. If that's where you're at, that you have been holding on to relationships, you've been holding on to uh, a position at work, if you've been holding on to things that are keeping you from following Jesus, it's not worth it. Give those things up to God, and the treasure that waits before you (laughs) is so much greater. And for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, that brings us to the question of the series, which, you know, after 30 minutes of preaching, I should probably get to this you asked for it question, right? Um, The question that was asked is, what's the connection of baptism with salvation? And there's a reason why I taught this passage before, before I got to here. And that's because there are oftentimes when, uh, like, the idea of baptism isn't actually that hard. The idea of baptism is that, and and as a church, what we believe, we believe in uh, believer's baptism by immersion. So when when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, put your faith in Jesus, then we follow Jesus's teaching, which tells us to be baptized, Right? And so the baptism that we, we, we look at is a, a great symbol of how you were uh, alongside Christ, what Jesus has done for us, not anything we could do, not anything we could earn. We are then baptized with Christ. We were baptized into his death, dead to our sin, buried with him, and then we rise from the, the, our, our old life, our old self, our old uh, pursuit of sin, and that symbolizes that we are resurrected with Christ and we are raised to walk in newness of life. And that's the idea that somebody is uh, standing back there in the baptismal, they are in the water, they have then been buried with Christ in his death and are raised to walk in newness of life, just like Jesus rose from the dead showing that he had victory over sin and victory uh, over death. But some of us grew up in a different faith uh, background, and, uh, you know, sometimes it can kind of be embarrassing because uh, you trust in Jesus, and it takes you a while before you, you become baptized. And a lot of that has, uh, there's a lot of different reasons why that would happen. Uh, some people will uh, hold off on being baptized because they were kind of embarrassed when they initially did it. They weren't quite ready to do it, and then they waited a long time. They waited, in their mind, too long to get baptized. My encouragement for you, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you put your faith in him, but you haven't been baptized, don't buy into that lie. Don't buy into the lie that Satan wants to tell you that following him isn't worth it. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to get baptized. So what's the connection between baptism and salvation? We know that salvation is what Jesus has done for you. Baptism doesn't save you. And some of us, that's the tradition that you grew up with. 
You grew up with the idea that when you were baptized as an infant, you have been saved. But we know that that doesn't work because what we see in Scripture, right? The baptism doesn't save us. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? How are you saved? Through faith, right? Not for by grace you have been saved through baptism. If that's the case, then Jesus would have uh, communicated that, and then the disciples would have uh, written that down in scriptures. But you've been saved through faith in Jesus, what Jesus did. So it's by grace, and grace is a gift that we don't deserve, right? And this is not of your own doing, because Paul is trying to make this really clear here in case we didn't get it, right? Not of your own doing, nothing you can do. It's the gift of God which is saying the same thing again, in case you didn't get it, right? And then he says it this way, not a result of your works, in case you didn't get it that time, right? Nothing you can do can save you. It's not what you did. It's what Jesus did. You're simply following him. It's not a result of your works so that no one can boast. Like, oh, look at all the great things that I was able to accomplish in the church and all the things that I was able to give. I gave all this money to the church, therefore I must be saved. I was baptized as an infant. I did all these things. That's not what it says, right? And so uh, as we look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we see that baptism doesn't save us. It's our faith in Jesus that saves us. Um that brings us to the second part of the question, right? So in light of Matthew 28, 19 through 20, uh, would it be the responsibility of the church to urge baptism to be done soon after salvation? And the word soon is kind of a, a relative term, right? Uh, you know, not that long ago, it was a little bit more common that as soon as you trusted in Jesus, pretty uh, quickly afterwards, you would then go get baptized, right? And sometimes it would even be like, you just trusted in Jesus, all right, walk right into the baptismal, you're getting dunked. A while ago, actually, though, it was a little bit different. Uh, when, when Christianity started to become cool in the, the Roman Empire, and they weren't being persecuted for it anymore, and it started becoming the, the religion of, of the the, the leadership of the, the kingdom, people were getting baptized really quickly after they trusted in Jesus, but they didn't understand what it meant to trust in Jesus. And so for some, they would get baptized after they made a profession that they were trusting in Jesus, and they would walk off and then continue to do the things that they used to do and didn't buy into following Jesus the way that the scripture tells us that we should follow Jesus. And so what they started to do is they would have this, this process with uh, an official in the church, and they would have this, uh, in a sense, this kind of like this catechism of, of belief before you are baptized, we want to make sure that you really believe what you believe. And so they would have this disciple and then uh, the discipler, right? And they would have this mentor-mentee relationship, and the, the mentor would tell them, tell me about what you believe in this. And they would say, well, this is, this is how I believe. This is what I believe. And they're like, well, you're not ready yet. And when it got to the point that they felt like, oh, wow, this, this person really gets it. They, they have bought in. Then they 
had a baptism service and they, they would baptize them. Now, that's kind of like two ends of the pendulum, right? You got the end of it just like, just, hey, you, you trusted in Jesus, let's dunk you, let's get it, get it going. All right, our numbers are that we just had 100 baptisms and 100 people trusted in Jesus. Excellent, let's go, right? And then the other end of the pendulum is, you know, we had uh, people who proclaimed their faith in Jesus, but we're not sure if they're really following Jesus yet. We're going to wait. And a lot of people wouldn't get baptized because they wouldn't be able to make it through the rigorous training that they said was required to follow Jesus. Now, as a church, we do believe that we need to follow up and make sure you truly believe in Jesus. But a lot of that has to do with your relationship with God and, and between you and God. And we can't simply say, well, we don't believe that you truly believe Jesus, right? We're not going to do that, but we can train you and instruct you. Now, uh, I think our struggle in our culture is this, is that we buy into the, to what I believe is the enemy's translation of Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and I'll turn to 28, uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the actual version soon, but first I kind of want to read this one. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. When you get a chance, when your life is a little more peaceful, because I know you're so busy with the many other things that are happening in your chaotic life, and after you pursue those relationships that will bring you real significance, and when things settle down at work and at home, and you actually earn that position that you've been trying so hard for, that you rightfully deserve because you've earned it. When that happens and you have the opportunity because of the things that you've done to have those resources in your life to be able to make a real impact in this world. And as you find your way and your purpose in life, working on making yourself a better you, you got to be a better you first before you can tell people about Jesus. And so that you can be good enough and skilled enough to be able to convince people that they should follow Jesus. When that happens, then you can go and make disciples. But that's not what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says. But how many of us feel that sometimes? Like, oh, I'm not really good enough to make disciples. I'm not, I haven't grown enough. I need to be in the church longer. I, I'm not qualified. I don't have the position to be able to share that. You know, I'm still a sinner. I still make mistakes. I still strike out. I can't share the gospel because then they'll see who, who I really am, right? I haven't figured myself, I need to make myself a better me. Then I can do that. Don't buy into that lie. Don't, don't listen to the enemy. That is not what you are called to do. In fact, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a command. Go. <laughs> Go and make disciples. Not, you know, when you get a chance as you're doing the things that you're, 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 you're you know, doing to keep yourself busy, to, like, to be successful, it's not what it's saying. Go and make disciples. 
Go make disciples. And then the next command, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So according to the question, should it be our job as the church to urge people to be baptized soon after they've trusted in Jesus? There's a comma in between there, but (laughs) it seems like it's communicating to us to do it right away. Right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We see even just in this, those five Ps, right? You have the power to go and do this. You have the, to actually see people uh, be made a disciple. You have the purpose to go and do that. You have the peace to be able to do that. It's not you that's doing it. The Holy Spirit is with you, right? God is with you always, even to the end of the age, right? And that presence, the presence of God is guiding you and directing you. Those five Ps are evident even in this passage. If you believe that following Jesus is important, then nothing in your life, the things that are holding you back, are worth it, right? Let's make disciples. Let's not wait until we're good enough. Let's not wait until we're successful enough. We have the time. Our life is less chaotic. That's not what the scripture tells us, right? Now, for 18 years of my life, my parents collected things for me. Some of your family had that same situation. I have a tub at home, and I actually asked my wife to bring it, and she's like, it's too heavy, right? We've never actually opened it up other than to look at it because we didn't have it labeled right, and we're like, what's in that thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Take the lid off, and you're like, oh, and you close it back up. For 18 years of my life, I thought it was important. My wife actually brought me some of the valuable things, valuable in parentheses or in uh, quotes there, Things that I collected, my November counting book. I actually don't think I collected that. I think my mom did, right? My graduation cap from high school. My warm-up jersey for the basketball team, right? Baseball cards. These are really valuable. I spent so many hours of my life categorizing Uh, making the categories of which cards they are, which year they are, which ones are are valuable, which ones I've had repeats of, right? Then you have the like the bargain with the neighbors and you're you're trying to like sell off those junk. It's all junk. It's not worth it. Over half of my life I spent collecting that stuff. That's gonna change soon, but When I trusted in Jesus, it wasn't worth it, right? I was trying to get good grades. I was trying to get into a good school. I was trying to do all these things. And when I trusted in Jesus, I was like, I think Jesus is calling me to tell others about him. He's calling me to go to to a seminary, to, to go to a Bible school. I think he's calling me to be a youth pastor. I think that's what God has called me to do. I think I'm going to do it. And all of that stuff I collected was worthless, What's keeping you from obediently following Jesus today? 
Is there something in your life that you're holding on to? What step is God calling you to take today? Is he calling you to put your faith in Jesus? I'm here to to be able to do that with you. I I want you to be able to trust in Jesus as your Savior. Are you uh, being called to be baptized? Have you waited for a long time and you're sitting there thinking like, oh, you know, I'm too embarrassed to do it. Are you called or are are you being uh, encouraged to be baptized today? Come talk to us. Contact uh, the office staff, contact Pastor Dan, uh, contact any of us. We want to help you with that. Talk to the elders. Are you being called to make a significant life change to free up your schedule so that you can make disciples of Jesus? I promise whatever it is, following Jesus is worth it. Whatever it is, all the other stuff is junk. Trust in Jesus. Follow his call. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the person sitting in this room who's never put their faith in Jesus. I pray that you would change their heart today. Father, it's my prayer that they would pray something like this. God, I've sinned against you, and I deserve punishment for what I've done. There's nothing I can do to make myself right with you, God. But because of your great love, this treasure you've made available through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, when he died on the cross, when he took my place, he took my judgment, what I deserved, and provided payment for the sin I deserved. And as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he proved that this payment for sin was sufficient. When he overcame sin and death, he changed lives. And I pray, God, that you would resurrect my dead heart and give me a new life in Jesus today. Give me a new peace a new position, a new purpose, and present yourself with me forever in my life. And for my brothers and sisters in Christ who have already trusted in Jesus, I pray that you would guide us today, God, that your Holy Spirit would allow us to obediently follow you that you'd help us to make disciples the way that you've commanded us to do. And we pray for your strength, because I know this is hard, to give up the things that we thought were valuable, but we see the value of the treasure in front of us, and we, I pray that they would buy into the treasure that you've made available, this treasure of heaven. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.